This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, obviously, sports are loved by so many millions of people here in the U.S., and as different technologies continue to evolve, we should expect to see even more with virtual sports and gaming kind of coming together, popping up on the landscape. Our next guest involved right in that right now, Jonathan Strauss, is the CEO of Invincible GG, which has developed a a virtual horse racing game that people can take part in. Jonathan, great to have you with us today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, I mean, where, how did this idea come about and, and what was it that drove you specifically towards horse racing? Uh, it came about because I, I, I had a, a business called the Bellwether Group, which did a lot of mergers and acquisition advisory work in the video game industry. And I came across uh, a company in the UK that we were serving that had this little fledgling business, which was virtual horse racing on interactive television in the UK. They were about, about half the homes in the UK. They had a really cool AI tech, very early stage AI technology that we thought was pretty cool. And we thought that you know, the UK is a pretty successful virtual market, but it's a fraction of the rest of the world. And let's take this technology and take it to the rest of the world. And uh, that was over a decade ago. And uh, it was much easier said than done to get that uh, to, to market. And what we didn't, didn't calculate in at the time was the regulatory environment in the United States, how hard it was to get uh, that technology approved for wagering. Um, and we realized along the way that it was just one side of the problem we were solving, which was how do you get great content to people for wagering on sports in between race events and so forth. But how do you create a really cool experience for people with horse ownership to own, develop, manage uh, these AI horses? And how do you make that not about horses, but about any sport? And so we first kind of dissected this technology and turned it into rather than horse-based, entity-based. So whether it's a horse, a fighter, a basketball team, um, that our technology was taking those uh, those AI entities, having them compete, having them develop skills, uh, then compete real-time for real money, and then also broadcast that for wagering. So it was a kind of an idea that sounded um, really cool. We spent the last decade making it a reality. So it's been quite a quite a challenge and quite a struggle, but we've, uh, we're finally, as they say, the tipping point has turned in our favor and we're taking off. Well, and obviously the landscape here in the U S with the regulatory side, as you mentioned, and the fact that it has changed so much in, in the last several years, I would think kind of opens, opens doors for you, doesn't it? It does. We, we originally before sports betting became so prevalent in the U S we thought, well, let's get ahead of it because our technology really exist on paramutual wagering and paramutual wagering technologies. One of your questions was white horse racing. People don't realize in the U.S., but horse racing is still the second most wagered sport in the world. It's also the third most viewed sport in the world. Last year, almost one and a half billion people either bet on or witnessed a horse race, which is a, an astronomically high number. And so it made a lot of sense for us that we're going to do virtual sports to begin with horse racing. Um and uh, but as such, we were leveraging the regulations around horse betting, uh, the interstate paramutual um, uh, wagering systems that are in place in the Interstate uh, Horse Racing Act um, as our basis. So our idea was get out ahead of sports betting. Now that sports betting is here and states are becoming more open in terms of the regulations, there's a lot more ways for us to go to market than there were five years ago. So th- th- what you have built up right now, I would think you have to have 
a wealth of different tracks of different horses of, you know, all these different components that come into play here that you kind of build a pool of opportunities for people to, to bet on, 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 you know, different options. And the other thing to it was, do you basically also have to build a data of the level of success that each of these AI components have so that they can, people can understand, you know, where potentially to put their bets. Absolutely. And that was actually the, the uh, we did that first, which was we had to, we knew we had to have these AI entities compete and we had to track their performance. Otherwise it wasn't handicappable. Right. Um, but we, yeah, we spent, uh, uh, our platform has definitely grown. We view ourselves in the horse racing side as the part, a partner of the industry. The horse racing industry needs desperately to bring in younger demographics uh, their, their, their population of fans is, is aged and aging. Um, and they don't do a great job of bringing younger people into the sport. And so we, we're a way to help with that. And, uh, by providing, uh, things like artificial intelligence and kind of advanced gameplay, which younger demographics are excited about and play, use every day. Um, but also connecting to like, you know, we're also a web three company. So we've got, uh, our horses are also NFTs. We're the first, um, what we call AI powered NFTs, where the NFTs actually change as you develop a horse, race a horse, it gets experience, it, it improves, all that's continuously updated in the blockchain. So we're dynamic, multifunctional NFTs where those really haven't existed before us. Um, and people have true ownership. So it's both pulling in, you know, we pull in from that technology pool, we pull in from AI technology. Um, and obviously we're doing things in simulation and so forth. That's pretty cutting edge and, and obviously the focus uh, you kind of alluded to before is around mobile and and that's really i guess not really a surprise with how we live our lives these days we've all got the smartphones close to us and so that's probably the easiest way for somebody to connect with something like this absolutely we and we one thing we've learned about younger demographics is they're very social they're very social but yet they're also very into constantly communicating with their friends via their phones. So if you ever hang out with a bunch of millennials, socially, you realize very quickly that you're having a conversation, but they're having second and third conversations at the same time via their phone. And that's the experience we're trying to create. So if you're in a big sports book like the um, MGM Grand or the Win in Las Vegas, uh, our vision is you have a group of people who are participating in these races and competing against each other real time. So people can bet on the races, people can be in the races, and they can race among their friends. And so that dual screen experience is a really important part of um, our strategy. And it's also, if you look at the, the uh, economics associated with gaming, uh, the mobile gaming is a $100 billion market where PC or Web3 gaming is less than $3 billion. So it's we're trying to tap into a much larger, larger market and actually try to bring mobile gamers into the metaverse because we think it's really exciting and there's really cool technology they should be employing. You talk on the website about building trust-based relationships. Talk about the importance of that in, in the process of this build-out. Yeah, so we, we've always been very focused on doing things the right way. We, we play obviously play in industries that, that can, on the edge, be gray markets. So uh, there's obviously the entire history of online gaming and then the U.S. now approving sports betting in the U.S. We've always played on the very black and white side of that. And uh, we only go into states where... Uh, our technology is approved. The platform has been certified and approved by the gaming authorities. We don't mess around with any form of uh, gray area wagering. Same with Web three. We don't uh, we don't do anything with VPNs or allow people to play our games or participate in real money contests 
unless they're in a state that authorizes it. And that's part of building trust among um, not just our consumers, but also among the regulars and also the industry, because the industry gets hurt when uh, people come in and bend the rules and do, I mean, there's a lot of companies doing Web3 wagering currently, and they're not doing it legally. And right. we're just not going to participate in that. And also with IP, I mean, intellectual property is really important to every sport. And horse racing is one that's often forgotten, which is you have these incredible horses, incredible jockeys, you have these tracks that are iconic. And those rights deserve to be you know, respected in the gaming environment, in the, in the mobile gaming environment, also in Web3 environment. And you'll see companies like Zed have come out and their players create famous, like there's a secretariat that exists in the Zed run universe. And we're just not going to do that because we're trying, we're trying to partner with the industry, help them uh, bring younger demographics in. And, you know, our platform does, as you said, we've got incredibly lifelike photorealistic versions of famous tracks. We have our own tracks as well, but we're trying to also bring real horses into our game as a, as NFTs as well. What is the state then of the racing industry in general? And how do you how much do you think you can help continue to build that up over the next couple of decades, you know, as potentially you get in more younger, younger demographics into this? Well, we think a lot. I mean, this the state is and, and it's hard to talk about horse racing um in any one market because the US market is very different from Japan and from Hong Kong. Uh, a lot of the international markets are are flourishing, they're doing incredibly well. And younger people are coming to the tracks and it's part of their daily life to bet on horses. The U.S. is very different. It's a it's an industry that's been declined here. Um, but we have a technology. So, for example, our, our primary new game is called Owner's Club. We also have a uh, an ancillary application called Race Day, where we actually give everyone in the grandstands, it says 40,000 people, a virtual horse. And it will run on the same day of the race. So in between the live races, we'll actually have virtual horse races running and they'll culminate in a contest where the winners get really cool prizes like tickets to the Breeders Cup, you know, partial ownership of a real horse, ownerships of our horses. Um, and it's really exciting. And obviously we're trying to funnel them in to our game, um, but it's a cycle. So we also then have our races running at the tracks for, for wagering. They can take their horse, come back to the track, see it run at the track and bet on at the track. And we create this kind of cycle of, uh, you know, calendar cycle of events that pull people into the game and send the people from the game back to the track. And it's a way of creating a lot of excitement and, uh, and new customers for the tracks. So obviously you're starting with horse racing, but you did say, you know, that this would be potentially a first sport. What are potentially the other sports then that you want to consider down the road? Yeah, so I've already met, you know, I'm a basketball guy and I'm a former Duke guy. So basketball is top of my list. And so we're, we're uh, developing a three-on-three -three basketball game that will have, well, I think we'll really showcase where our, our AI is going. So we think about AI in terms of, um, like today we call it directive AI, which is an, a person owns a horse. They tell it what to do. The horse uses intelligence to execute against its directions in the middle of a race. Right. Moving to independent intelligence where the horses will have, their own abilities to learn as they go and develop things that the, the owner doesn't even think about. Um, take that to basketball where you bring a team of players together that have independent intelligence, independent abilities that they're, they're developing. We're trying to push that to the collective. So how do they play as a team? How do they collaborate? So how does this unit of players learn from their experiences together and become a better team as they progress? And that's where we're trying to take our AI technology and why basketball to us is such a great forum 
to really push the boundaries of AI technology when it comes to uh, 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 learning systems. Um, but that's one we're working on with, if you ever followed uh, EA Sports or EA Big, Glenn yeah. Shin, who, is the, who ran EA Big and was the guy that created Street Hoops version volume two, which is part of the best basketball game of all time. Um, he's on our team helping us uh, with this project specifically in building our basketball team. We're kind of doing a, a um, for lack of better words, a redo of those type of games, the Street Hoops franchise, um, which was the early 2000s when it came out. So does that potentially then, I don't know if this would be the path you would take with it, but does that potentially take you at some point down the, the road of NIL and connecting with real athletes that you would potentially you know, think about incorporating down the road? Absolutely. I think our, our primary focus in that, that, that game is uh, twofold. One is we call it the legendary players, which is, you know, do you, do you have a Michael Jordan in the game or do you have 20 Michael Jordans that are the different versions of Michael Jordan <laughs> for the course of his career? Right, right. I mean, and we have all the above, right? And um, there's, a, there's an endless amount of content from the, the great players of basketball lore. Um, certainly as we progress forward, whether it's uh, great college players, great high school players, um, we certainly can be an avenue for them, but also we see it as people like to create their own characters. They like to create their own entities that are unique, that are them themselves. And, you know, our systems facilitate that experience. And it's, uh, I think you'll see as much of that as you would of people playing with famous players. So there's part of this also that I think goes to another story that we've talked about on our show for a long time, and it's the relationship with the consumer. And obviously, it's something that you're looking to build out as a strong entity moving forward. It's something that the retail industry has focused on a lot, is that the better you can build that relationship with the consumer, the more times they're willing to come back and enjoy that experience time and time again. And it gives you a great opportunity to build your industry through that avenue as you go ahead. Absolutely. And that's what we're, we're uh, literally starting our beta, our private beta for our horse racing game in, in two weeks. And um, it's a challenge because we're trying to, we're trying in our beta will be players who are web three gamers, players who are horse racing, mobile gamers. We're also bringing players in from casinos like South point and the Boyd casinos in Vegas. They're hardcore horse racing betters. Yeah. And then part of our beta and we're, we're doing the beta to hear and learn from our players about what they want to see different, what they want to see improved. How do they enjoy this experience? Cause that's, we're building games for them, not for ourselves. And um, so that that relationship and that feedback cycle is really important, but we have to serve different audiences. And I think that's one of the, uh, the, the challenging things, but also one that will be very rewarding for us when we figure out how to do it well. And, and when do you hope to have everything up running and, and going 100% at this point? Yeah, so the, the private beta is in, I said, a few weeks. We plan to have a, a larger public beta, 2,500 people in December, and the full game will be released in February of next year. So it's uh, we're right. It's very close. We're very uh, we're almost <laughs> to market. Yeah, I was going to say probably the the anticipation and the angst is probably you know you, building up as you, as you get a little closer towards the end of the year right now. Yeah, it was amazing. We've had so much um, unexpected success initially in regards to our marketing and people wanting to participate. It's overwhelming because you don't want to say no to people, but, but we don't simply have enough. Uh, uh, NFT horses to sell. We don't have enough yeah. spots in our beta. It's a lot of disappointed people that can't participate yet, but come first quarter, they will. Finish up talking about the component of using NFTs in this process as well and why it, it was it was the right path for you guys to go down. 
there's a couple of things we're doing. So yeah, NFTs, we've we've always had the concept of owner, people, players owning their horses themselves. When when I host that horse on my server, it doesn't really feel like you own the horse yourself. I'm right. kind of holding it for you. And the, the blockchain allows us to actually have those horses reside on for the player in their wallets. So it's their horse from day one. And that notion of true ownership, I think is really important. They want to develop the horse they can. They want to sell the horse. They want to breed the horse. They can do all that on their own. They don't need us to do that. And that was a really important component. The other thing is that I just think there's so much to Web3 and blockchain technology that's beneficial to the world. Um, it's getting a really bad rap right now. Um, but we are actually, we, we've always, all of our capital to date has been through, let's call it family and friends, substantial family and friends. We've raised a lot of capital that way for a long time. But we're going to turn it and in, in actually issue a security token, which allows people to invest in the company um, via security token, which means it's a venture investment. But at the same time, it'll have market liquidity in 12 months, which for me, having spent the last two decades in the venture community is a wonderful thing because there's nothing worse than being locked up in a company after seven or eight years and not being able to get out. Yeah. And these uh, security tokens allow people the liquidity uh, to exit if they want to or bring new people in if they want to come in. So we're leveraging the blockchain really in two ways. One, the NFTs, and the other is with our security token, both of which are really Jonathan, for us. Jonathan, great to meet you. Thanks very much for your time. All the best with this. Look forward to talking to you again down the road. Likewise. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great day. Jonathan Strauss, who is the CEO of Invincible GG. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.